Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Did you all watch the inauguration yesterday? No. Oh, yes. I watched Impact Wrestling. <laughs> just, just, to, just to show how much of an educated person I am. <laughs> What's Impact Wrestling? Uh, it's a teeny tiny promotion in the US that is now working with the actual promotion that I'm watching AEW and they have like crossover stuff now so I need to watch that so I understand everything that is going on in the actual show that I'm watching oh my god that's just rude when they add more things so you have to watch more things so you understand the things that you actually want to watch yeah, I don't have time for that. Like that's the like one of the reasons I don't watch WWE is that they have seven hours of program a week that I would have to watch, and I don't have that time. <laughs> seven Helga, hours. I'm start- well, I'm starting yeah. to think, Helga, that maybe you're just not getting the message that wrestling is made for people that don't have full time jobs <laughs> and children. <laughs> that might be it. Uh, I. I, I I like I know that you're speaking English in all of those words, Helga. But when you're t- when you're talking about wrestling, I just you, you've lost me. <laughs> it's just completely gone. Anyway, if it's not Ultimate Warrior or the British Bulldog, um, did I ever tell my British Bulldog story? I'm sure I did. Right? Not to me. I, I think. Did I tell you, Lewis? I don't know. That just means a game that we played at school. To me. Yeah, we played Bulldog too. That's true. Uh, I. Uh, was a wrestling fan when I was younger and British Bulldog was, was quite you know he was a big thing for a while I guess Helga yeah I mean especially over there yeah right and uh, I, I want to get a British Bulldog badge but my dad wouldn't let me because well, he was why the fuck would you wear a British Bulldog badge when you were growing up <laughs> no I was insane. I know but I was younger right but my, sounds like a death wish <laughs> but my my dad wouldn't let me buy a British Bulldog badge what were you thinking <laughs> I'm, I'm on your dad's side. You're on my dad's side here? <laughs> yeah, okay. definitely. All right, let's crack on with this then and, and put the wrestling talk to the side for now. I think there's a reason you've not told us that before. <laughs> the shame, <laughs> the shame. <laughs> so joining me in record on today's uh, Euro One Football podcast is uh, Helga Volpen. You can say hello, Helga. Yeah, I did. Oh, okay, I missed didn't, it. Didn't, didn't pick it up? No, I didn't no, pick I, it up. I didn't oh, hear that either. No. Hello then. Uh, and Lewis Ambrose. Hello. Okay. That, <laughs> Good stuff. That, that, that one we did pick up. Okay, so you already know that we do a Premier League podcast with Dan Burke. That comes out early in the week. Uh, if you're listening to this, then you know we do a Euro one with myself. Uh, but from uh, this week onwards, we also do a women's football podcast with Angelina Kelly. Uh, don't feel bad uh, if you haven't heard it. This is the very first one. It comes out on Wednesday. It stars Angelina. It talks about all things uh, you know, women's football. What more could you want? And Lewis, you were on it this week. I was, yeah. Two podcasts in a week. I know. You can't get enough of me. Well, it's not like anyone requested me, though, so maybe they can. Maybe this is way too much. Uh, the email address remains the same. If you want to get in touch with any of those uh, podcasts, that's uh, any of those podcasts, and, and send over any questions, it's podcast at onefootball.com. Now, it has been an age since we discussed anything Bundesliga, so Helga and Lewis are here to make that right. Uh, we're going to get to the midweek games in a few minutes, but first, uh, Bayern Munich. They looked unbeatable a few months ago, lads. Uh, now they're getting knocked out of the cup by a bunch of storks. And uh, before Wednesday night's win, um, and even the post saved them there, they couldn't keep a clean sheet for loving our money. Um, what's going on? What are the problems here? Who who wants to run with this one? Uh, I think I can start. Um, Go for it, Helga. I mean, there's, in general, 
if you look at the, the Bundesliga table, they're still top. They're four points away of, uh, of Leipzig. Um, Leverkusen and Dortmund are looking even even worse. So in general, it's it's going okay in the league at least. Um, the main problem I would say is that they um, played the Champions League tournament until the end, didn't really have a preseason, um, which now leads to um, problems basically in, in defense. They've scored 49 goals in, in these 17 games so far, um, but conceded 25, which is the same amount as uh, Werder Bremen on uh, 13th, and even more than Arminia Bielefeld, who is uh, the promoted team that is now 15th. So that's basically where, where I would say the, the problems lie. Um, reason for me being players being, being tired, they have to rotate more. Kimmich was missing a lot of games. Um, and in general, it is that, um, yeah, they, they, they can't press as in, like intensely anymore as, as they did before. Um, so there's some gaps in between uh, teams can counterattack and they can't just hold that pressure and that control for a full 90 minutes at the moment. That's, that's what I would say. Lewis? Yeah, I think there were eight Bundesliga games in a row when Bayern conceded first. Uh, they didn't lose any of them and then they scored first against uh, Gladbach and did lose. So that's obviously just a bit strange. But I think it just speaks to something The like when Helga talks about them not being able to press. It, I think it's all to do with that intensity. They lost Alfonso Davies to injury as well. They lost Joshua Kimmich for a little while. So there was no depth there was no one to be rotating the team and they were just yeah I think you could tell watching them they just looked exhausted they looked sloppy there were as Helga said there were just gaps and something Hansi Flick has kept repeating the last few weeks was just the defence and or the whole team really needs to learn when when there is no pressure on the ball when they're not pressing yeah, they need to make sure there's no space to get in behind them or there's there's any runners that are running in behind are being tracked. So I think last season we saw a Bayern side that dominated every phase of the game. They dominated in every single position on the pitch. And I think it is just impossible, especially in this season with this calendar, to keep up with the intensity they were playing at. And now they're just sort of dominating in the boxes. I think Mamo Neuer and Robert Lewandowski are the two reasons that Bayern are still top of the league. The reliance on both of them at both ends of the pitch is so much more than it's ever been. But luckily for them, they have both of those players. So <laughs> they're still top of the league anyway. Yeah, but it's, it's also like what I would just add. Um, like looking at the transfer business they did in, in this summer, they, they got the players in very late after the, after the tournament of the Champions League. And also by now, like... When they actually got them, I, I figured they were decent, decent um, players to to strengthen the the width of the of the squad. You know, like Douglas Costa knows the team; he was decent at, at Juventus. Chupomoting can give um, Lewandowski more rest than Cirksi could. Um, then I actually felt like okay. They they did what they needed to do to to rest some players, but now it looks like Douglas Costa is not performing well. Roca, who was supposed to to um, 
be the replacement for Thiago is still not at, at the level that he that he should be or like was maybe overestimated and that's also something that they they lost Thiago who was a player who gave them balance in midfield that they did not replace so there's it looks like the the, the planning there did not work out in the end that's well that's my next question is how much are they actually missing Thiago Cause he, I mean such a central player you you imagine that's a yeah. that's a big deal right massive and one of few players who by now had been at the club for a really long time as well. So obviously you've got Müller and Lewandowski in the final third. Thiago was kind of, the midfield is kind of new. I guess Joshua Kimmich has been at the club for a few years, but mostly playing right back. Leon Goretzka last season was the first sort of a breakthrough season, I guess, for him Mm. in terms of being a regular starter for Bayern. So you've got this situation where the the keys have been passed but they're not really been passed to anyone I guess Kimmich is the player that that everybody looks to but as Helga said already he missed a few games through injury I think November he was injured and he missed until the end of 2020 Thiago is just sort of to me anyway he is irreplaceable he was the player that set the tone with and without the ball for Bayern and you've not seen that really so far for Liverpool because he's been injured but he was the key player he, he's just the complete midfielder he works incredibly hard he reads the game incredibly well but with the ball as well he's the man who can unlock a defence but he's also the man that sort of you know when you see a player and they're playing passes not because the players want that pass but because they know it's the pass the player receiving it should want Mm -hmm. like he puts the ball where his teammates should be and he makes all of his teammates better for it so I think they are missing Thiago enormously and but I think that was always going to be the case Uh, a couple of more questions then about their uh, about their transfers how would we rate Sané's season so far his his first season back (laughs) It's a difficult one. Like he had trouble after after his torn ACL to to find his form, um, which I think is completely understandable. Um, he struggled, especially when he was was starting. Like he he was actually having quite um, the the good performances when he was being subbed in and could probably also play against opponents that that were a little more tired out so he could use his speed he scored some kind of like robinesque goals you know from like cutting in from the outside and, and then scoring um what has been criticized most is his uh, defensive uh, style as well that he that he did not uh, work as much as, as he should also, Flick, I think, said that his first touch was a little inconsistent, so he would lose a lot of, of balls unnecessarily. So he still has a lot of, of room to improve, but uh, I think he did so in the last weeks as well. Flick was was also, um, yeah, like, like lauding that a little bit. Um, I, I think he just needs a little bit more time, and I think yeah, in, a, in, a, in a couple of months, maybe even already, uh, he, he will be at the level that he needs to be. Okay. Yeah, he missed an entire year of football as well, right? So yeah. that is true, yeah. I think obviously arriving at such a dominant team, people maybe expected Sané to like perform how we've seen him at his very best at Man City, but it's an entire year or over a year when he made his Bayern debut since he'd last played football. So I think when a player's out for that long, it's always going to take some time just coming back not even at a new club. Mm. Um Alaba's going is that right? He's out. 
very very likely yeah okay in, the, 90, in this January, 98% in this in this transfer window or or it's going to be a summer thing no it's going to be a summer thing yeah. okay um how come they're letting him go or is it more that the player wants to get out uh i think the player would be happy to stay with the with him and his his side sort of received the contract offer that they felt they deserved. Mm. I think David Alaba has been at Bayern for so long now. He's won two trebles alongside uh, Mamor Neuer and, and Thomas Muller. And I think from the Alaba camp, it's like, well, I'm just as important and should be paid like those players are paid at Bayern then after such long service. Uh, Jerome Boateng is obviously has also won two trebles and is also leaving with with no contract offer uh, on the table at the end of the summer. I think for Bayern, it becomes a matter of, especially during the pandemic, not stretching themselves and not setting the precedent that they will just pay players whatever they want, even if that's enormous wages. So I think at 28, it's sort of Alaba's last chance to, to play somewhere else. It's the last one last big contract for for maybe four or five years until he's in his 30s. I think it sort of makes a lot of sense for him. I don't feel like it makes that much sense for Bayern. Mm-hmm. I think Lucas Hernandez has not been completely convincing since he arrived. I think it says, speaks volumes about him and about Niklas Sula that, that Flick knows Boateng and Alaba both won't be there next season as it stands but is still choosing both of them as his first choice centre-backs. I think he, he trusts them more than, than Zula, who yeah. was also out for a really long time, um, and Hernandez. And that's a, obviously a problem. Um, yeah, I mean, Bayern will probably sign Dale Upamakano from RB Leipzig, but even then you're, you're waiting for him to arrive, but also sort of just fit into the team seamlessly and step up to the level of Champions League winners which is a big ask I was about to say that he's he's not yet like, he's really really good already and he's very young still but he's not yet at the level where Alaba or um, Boateng in their, in their best form uh, were in the past so like this is also a player that comes in and that has to develop so this is a risk in the sense of like you know what you have with Alaba and this is going to leave a hole um, if I've counted this right, Alaba has won 23 trophies since joining Bayern in, <laughs> in, um, in 2010. That's not bad. Two Champions Leagues, a couple of leagues, you know, see, all of those things that go into it. Uh, Lewis, uh, Dortmund season, inconsistent. Over. <laughs> oh, so, oh, we're already ruling it over. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe maybe you can tell the people why it's over. Then is it just is it just the 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 defeat, the recent defeat? Um, I, I'd say that the last two games were. Had Dortmund won the last two games, it was a chance. Especially we've talked about Bayern and and their fragility, and that was a chance for Dortmund. <clears throat> excuse me, to really assert themselves and show that they're they're there they're ready and waiting for for Bayern to slip up a couple more times right that, that was the there. it was yeah. the draw with Mainz and the defeat to Leverkusen right yeah so yeah. at the weekend Dortmund uh, played really well actually in the first half against Mainz uh, but conceded the opener uh, equalised and then missed a penalty to win it a few minutes later uh, against Leverkusen in midweek they were 
completely wide open for 80 of the 90 minutes 70 of the 80 uh, of the 90 minutes were good for 20 minutes after half time um it was enough to get an equalizer but then Leverkusen scored again anyway so they're up into third Dortmund behind them three points behind them in fourth I think the season so far is I think it's been a, a word of caution for any clubs that have a lame duck in charge Lucien Favre was never going to get a new contract at the end of this season unless you know he won the league and even then it was probably not going to happen he was a good manager for Dortmund over the last couple of years but it was always clear that he didn't quite fit the club it was a great steadying hand after a couple of troublesome years with first with Thomas Tuchel then with Peter Bosch and Peter Stöger taking half a season each so Dortmund needed somebody who would sort of not create any drama would steady the ship would more or less guarantee top four and Champions League football and Lucien Favre did that and probably in his first season overperformed expectations by being so close to winning the league um, which put so much pressure on him to then try and win the league in the last two years or in the second year and, and this season as well so there's been problems I think under him the Dortmund you know they it wasn't this sort of classic Dortmund football that people envisaged there was not so much intensity it was a much more measured game and I think that upset certainly some fans who were tired of it Matt Hummels in particular would give interviews after games more or less just criticising the tactics at which point a situation becomes really difficult to manage when your most senior and most successful player is pretty much openly saying that the team's playing the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the problem, like I say, when Dortmund had a, have a lame duck situation, when any club has a lame duck situation, I think it opens you up to that. So Favre was sacked after a pretty humiliating defeat to Stuttgart. Dortmund then hired or promoted Edin Terzic, who was the assistant coach or one of the assistant coaches, who people may know from being Slaven Bilic's assistant in the past in, uh, at Besiktas and West Ham. And Terzic stands for or symbolises in a way this sort of Dortmund trying to return to this very intense pressing kind of style that obviously became so popular under Jurgen Klopp. The problem is Edin Terzic has never been a coach before, uh, not a head coach, certainly not any sort of challenge in his career like coaching a club like Dortmund. And the team just doesn't look great at the moment. They are very, as you say, very inconsistent. They're maybe more suited to playing teams that will try and play against them like Leipzig did when Dortmund played really well in the second half at least there and and could hit Leipzig on the break and and play into a lot of space but yeah it's it that obviously just serves for inconsistency when then you see Dortmund struggle to beat Mainz they're wide open against Leverkusen they lose to Union Berlin just before Christmas and yeah I think now halfway through the season exactly Dortmund sit 10 points off the top and in a season that looks so in compared to previous Bundesliga seasons so wide open where Bayern do look fragile that that's a big problem Dortmund can't expect to win the league every year but they have to be there and ready and waiting for the years that Bayern look a bit weaker and they've not done that now. 
uh, it's some interesting quotes from Thomas Delaney after the game, uh, the, the Leverkusen defeat, when he said, uh, I had to count to 10 before I came to talk to you. It's very disappointing. In the first half, we we played with a bad mentality, with bad body language. We were lucky being 1-0 down. I would suggest he thinks it's over too. <laughs> what I would say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of winning the league, yeah, the Dortmund of lost six games out of 17 so far this season already uh, In obviously you, the season's not over Dortmund have to play for the Champions League it's absolutely huge for the club financially The with the with the wages that they pay mm. players with the fees that they sometimes pay for players with Bayern aside it's by far the second biggest wage bill in the Bundesliga they have to be in the Champions League to, to, to maintain that and if they aren't in the Champions League it probably forces them to sell an extra player that they wouldn't like to sell in the summer so and and obviously they're trying to attract a new manager for next season as well I would be very surprised if Edin Terzic is the coach if Dortmund aren't in the Champions League it becomes a little bit harder to maybe entice the manager they do want away from their current club Neil Lennon <laughs> I don't think he'll be in the Champions League next season. <laughs> um, on the on the Leverkusen game, I just did want to say uh, uh, Musa Diaby's touch for the first goal. If you've got a chance to go to go look at it, please do. It's absolutely sensational. Just wanna just wanted to put that out there. Uh, one of the teams challenging uh, Dortmund for the Champions League is, of course, Union Berlin. Can we have a couple of words, Helga, on Union Berlin? Because they're having a season of their lives. They're up to sixth, just a point behind Wolfsburg and Dortmund. Uh, what's going so right there? Well, if you remember the the talk we had for the for the like before the season started about who had the best transfer window, mm. <laughs> um, I was saying like then like Union Berlin has done an amazing job there, getting in players like Robin Knoche, like getting Max Kruse in, who now has been injured, but also the the year before, like a player like Geraldo Becker, he needed a year to adjust a little bit to the Bundesliga coming from the uh, Dutch Eredivisie. But now he, he uses his speed and also combines that with, uh, with, with goals, which was lacking uh, last year or last season. Um, now he plays a little bit more central, not as a winger anymore. But yeah, the, it was Fischer, the, the coach. He really found a system that works. He um, Back uh, last season, they, they would play like a very simple style of long balls to to uh, Anderson Sebastian Anderson and as a striker he would put it to the to the uh, midfielders and then they would attack or like counter attack they were very very simple when it came to that they added a new style like Max Cruz was really helping with that but also other players now stepped up and now they they have a found a nice mix of of counter attacking but um not not playing long balls when when doing so they they um attack with vertical passes very direct but yeah very um technically advanced by now i have to say and unlucky not to get something from uh, their game against leipzig excuse me sorry they were unlucky not to get something from the game against uh, uh, uh leipzig during the week no yeah they they were clearly the the uh, the worst team I would say of the two. They were defending really well, which is the, the thing they kept from from last season. Which is like they are really hard to to defeat, but also now they are they're way better at at being a goal threat on their own. Which is you saw the the defending part against Leipzig still, but um, by now 
Union is better at attacking, which was the difference the last season, which is the difference in, in points, I think you, you can see. Um, on the other side of Berlin, um, it's it's not looking too good uh, for, for uh, Bruno Lavidia, <laughs> is it? Uh, they lost the Hoffenheim 3-0. Um, uh, just one win in seven games, Helga. Mm-hmm. That's, is it bye-bye Bruno? Uh, maybe, possibly. <laughs> maybe, possibly, okay. It is... Uh, for now, what they they said is um, that he will get another two games. Oh, that's which, nice of them. Yeah, I mean, they, they, the club didn't say that. It's the it's the media reporting. Okay, but it makes it makes sense that they will not fire him now in uh, the middle of. Uh, God, one second, my cat is going crazy there. I'm sorry. <laughs> the joy, the joy of podcasting. <clears throat> The cat loves Bruno Labbadia. Yeah, the cat's just Only trying to... Only two more games? Yeah, the cat's trying to sabotage it all. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the fun at home office. Um, no, but they, um, they... It makes sense that they're not uh, firing or changing their coach in the middle of uh, the, this week where they have three games in, in seven days. Um, but uh, they are playing Werder Bremen, which is the team that is right above them. Mm. Um and so he's going to get that game as as a chance and then afterwards they're playing against Eintracht Frankfurt um so that is going to be way harder but if he gets one win out of those those two games i think he's he's going to continue on because they're still at least two points away from the from the relegation playoffs but yeah it's it's uh it's going to be tough and also uh their um like it's not sporting director but yeah like he's the the man who's who's making the transfers uh, Michael Preetz he's also um, at risk of losing his job, maybe. Okay. Um, uh, it's, you know, speaking of losing their jobs, are are losing their places? A, a cruel, cruel defeat for Schalke oh, with Cologne scoring in the ninety third minute. Uh, Lewis, this kind of feels like a defeat that's really going to cut them adrift, right? Yeah, Cologne. Oh, boy, before the game, five points clear of Schalke, so that's. Just two points less than Schalke have managed all season long so far. The wins are hard to come by. They've won one. Well, they they won one game in in twenty twenty back in January, and they've won one game now in twenty twenty one. So it's it's very hard to see where the next win comes from. The problem for Schalke, I think, especially they've actually played better the last few weeks, and and they deserved the win that they got against Hoffenheim. They played quite well against Köln last night. The problem for them is the next few games. They've they've got Bayern next, then they have Werder Bremen, and then they play uh, Leipzig, Union, Dortmund, Stuttgart, who are all in the top half. That is ouch. Yeah. It actually it actually continues on like that. They they afterwards meet. Uh, Mainz, but then they have Gladbach, Leverkusen, and and so on. Like, yeah. if they get six to nine points until the the, the next ten games, they they would actually be be quite lucky already. Yeah, I mean they're now eight points from the playoff place. They have seven in the entire first half of the season. They are eight points behind the playoff place. They're ten points from automatic safety and. The situation so bad, the fixture list is so bad that watching Sky last night, uh, Lotto Mateus at halftime said that, in his opinion, if they come out of these next five games just as far behind as they currently are, then 
that's a success. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, uh, you get what he means when you hear those fixtures, but then you think then they'll have only 12 games left to make up a, an eight-point gap or a 10-point gap for safety. It becomes really, really hard to imagine that they manage it. And I'm afraid bringing back a few players who were good for you in 2010 is probably not going to cut it. No, apparently not. But it is... Uh, Huntelaar is back. Uh, I... I heard a rumor Rafinha is coming back, but that can't be true. No, I don't. I don't think that one is true. Um, but Crystal Palace have just re- in the last week or so released Max Meyer as well. So uh, who knows? Mm. Get the I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he's coming back. Though. <laughs> I don't know. Rafinha also the sport build has doubled down on it uh, this Wednesday that they're still uh, interested in it, and he, I think, if I remember correctly, said that he would at least be open to the idea. Where is um, he now? At Olympiakos. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Kalasinac returned, obviously, as well, and was instantly given the captain's armband. I thought he played quite well, too, against Cologne. Yeah, yeah he, actually, he actually helped them, yeah. Mm. Yeah, he's played all right the last few games. He was he was good in the, in the win against Hoffenheim as well, especially. Um, it's just... It, it becomes a... You reach a point, don't you, where it's... Even if they pick up points, it becomes hard to see them picking up enough points to actually survive. And Mainz are on the same points, seven at the bottom of the table. It's really, really difficult to see either of those surviving at the moment. Yeah, because also Mainz has a has a similar uh, situation that um, that uh, Schalke is in when it comes to their to their fixtures coming up because they're playing uh, Leipzig, Stuttgart, Union, Leverkusen and Gladbach in the ne- next five games. Also all teams that are um, challenging for Europe with like maybe the exception of Stuttgart. But yeah, like they, they also have uh, yeah, very hard hard games in front of them. Afterwards, that's the difference a little bit for me to Schalke. Afterwards they have games against Augsburg, Schalke, Freiburg, uh, Hoffenheim, Bielefeld, and Cologne. So that or like Hertha as well afterwards, and even Bremen. I see like right now. So like they have afterwards. They have like eight, nine games where they they can actually maybe make up the points. So I, I see like maybe it's like a slight chance that they that they can still pick it up. But yeah, also very difficult. Helge, do you happen to know what's the lowest points tally of any Bundesliga club ever? Uh, that must be Tasmania Berlin. Yeah. Uh, let me look it up. I just, I'm wondering at <laughs> the three points. Uh, while while you look that up, I'm sure you can do two things at the same time. How big a deal will it be for Schalke to get down to this vital Bundesliga? Bigger than when Hamburg went down? It would be. It's pretty uh, huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, 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 it is. It is almost incredible if you like. If you look at it, like they were one and a half years ago, they were uh, in in the Champions League, um, even. At the halftime of last season, they were, I think, second, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but definitely they were in a Champions League uh, spot there. And now they, they are most likely getting relegated one and a half years later. That That's incredible. But also financially, the, 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 mon- the money they were spending on, on their team, I think they might be third or fourth highest wage bow in the league. So that's, that's, that's incredible, yeah. Yikes. I think the difference... And to the the big difference to Hamburg is that everybody knew it was coming for Hamburg. I mean, Schalke have been bad for for a while, and they've gone between this sort of they've floxed from being a team that's in Europe to a team that's lower mid table for quite a few years. But 
I think with Hamburg, you saw for maybe five years before they went down, they were really close to going down every single season. Mm. For Schalke, this has sort of come out of nowhere and Hamburg's financial situation was not pretty, but Schalke's is even worse. So to be relegated... They're just very lucky, very, very lucky that they're a club with a great academy. Um, and you'd think that they're, they'll be forced to sort of lean on that and get rid of as many of these highly paid players as they can because they won't survive otherwise. Schalke were, I think, last season the only team that didn't offer refunds to fans who had bought tickets for games that were then played behind closed doors because they just could not afford to give up that money. No, no, they they did, but they um, what they did was they wrote a letter they offered, to. They offered merchandise to most of them. That, that's what they tried, yeah. But they, I mean, in the end, they they had to basically they had to pay the money. So, but they also tried to then write a letter asking the fans who were demanding back their money why it had to be now that they were in the, in the position to to argue like why do you need it now? Can we pay you in a year? Oh, which, Schalke, which, which never change. Yeah. yeah, I think the initial the initial thing that was sent out to fans was uh, come to the club shop with proof that you had a ticket and go home with a yeah. shirt, but yeah. not actual any more money. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, they, well, they tried they tried the coupon thing. Yeah, thought, <laughs> thoughts and prayers with Benny Coolhoff uh, <laughs> right about now. Uh, uh, finally, a couple of sorry, words. Oh, yeah, go on, Helga. Yeah, because I looked it up. Tasmania oh, yeah. Berlin, uh, they. Um, had eight points, but there was back then when there was a two-point rule still, mm. so um, they would be at ten points okay. going down. So Schalke only needs three more points, so one more win. There we you, go. You could see that happening. You could really see it happening. Yeah, and, and uh, already against Werder Bremen, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally, a couple of words on the return of Luka Jovic, who you know is back in the Bundesliga and seems to be pretty happy with it. No. Yeah, 32 games to score two goals for Real Madrid and 28 minutes to score two goals back at Eintracht Frankfurt. So, I don't know. Football's weird, isn't it? Sometimes it's just like somebody really belongs somewhere um, and it feels like Luka Jovic belongs at Frankfurt. He didn't do much when he came on last night against Freiburg, but um, we'll see him. I'm sure banging in the goals is a really exciting front two with with Andre Silva as well, who's had a really good season again for Frankfurt, and they're only a couple of points I think from the Champions League places. They're a point or two from the Europa League spots as well. So it's really exciting at that end of the table. You've really got six or seven clubs fighting to be in what will probably end up being three or four places at the end of the season. Yeah, they're only two points away from Dortmund at at, at fourth. Yeah. They're coming for Dortmund, Lewis. They all are, yeah. <laughs> Lovely gentlemen, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you too. Porig, there have been some interesting times in the Scottish Premiership of late. Uh, let's start in the same place where we started with the women's game last week, and that's Dubai. Uh, what on earth were Celtic doing in Dubai in the midst of all of this going on? That is a very good question that everybody keeps asking and I don't think anybody knows the answer to it. To be fair, um, they do go every, I think for the last four years maybe, um, yeah, since like Rogers was the manager, they've went every um, time just after Christmas during the winter break as like a, a nice warm weather camp and they're still keeping sharp and it's it's actually it's worked really well a lot of the time in the last few years, which I think was their major justification 
for still wanting to go this year because the team was struggling so much and they thought maybe it's worked every other year. They'll go, they'll come back, the batteries will be recharged and yeah, they'll can kick right on from uh, a nice little break. But the difference between every other year and this year is there hasn't been a global pandemic every other year that they've decided to travel to Dubai. So I've got like some sympathy for them in that regard, but yeah, for me it just oh, it just keeps coming back to you didn't need to go. Why did you need to be there? And I don't think they'll ever have a good enough reason for why they had to be in Dubai and they couldn't just train at home like almost every other club except Spartak Moscow, who I see are there this week, and tagging Celtic on social media, which is a bit cheeky. But yeah, are they, are they really? They're taking, yeah, yeah, they're, they're taking the piss. Yeah, and they're sending messages to Celtic. Like, are we? Are we doing this right at Celtic FC and stuff? So, yeah, I wonder. I wonder if the criticism is as big in in Russia um, uh, for them as it is back in Scotland. Maybe not. Probably um, not. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the about how the club reacted to this in, in a minute. But uh, there's been some pretty serious repercussions for the club from from the trip, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that's just uh, you talk about why. The whole club was there, but in particular why certain people were even there. Um, the club's one of the best defenders, Christopher Julien's, out for the rest of the season. He picked up uh, a really bad knee injury when he was clearing the ball off the line a few weeks ago and he smacked his knee off the post, so he'll be out for the season. But he was still um, in Dubai. I think the justification there is that the medical team could keep an eye on him with his recovery and stuff, but it's not a good look when there's already photos going around of the manager and the captain uh, sitting by the pool having a few beers while they're there. It's not a good look if a guy who's not able to train or anything like that in any way with the team is tagging along and he picked up COVID either when he was there or just before they left, it's not really known when exactly he picked it up, but because he had been in such close contact with the manager, a lot of the team, um, 13 other players have had to self-isolate when they come back, which meant Celtic's last two games after they come back were honestly played with like the worst starting eleven I think I've ever seen like in my lifetime supporting uh, the team and I don't I th- I'd think you'd be hard pushed to find one that's worse it was pretty much uh, kids making their debuts some of them that are just never going to be good enough that would never have played um, if the, this pandemic hadn't given them the chance to to get into the team they just wouldn't have played or been near the team so you mean the game you mean the Hibernian and uh, Livingston and game Livingston right? games yeah mm-hmm. and uh, yeah they didn't even win um, either of those games as well letting a last minute equaliser against Hibs and then a 0-0 draw against Livingston that to be honest they'll be quite annoyed that they didn't uh, beat that Celtic team they probably should have they hit the bar uh, quite late on but just two absolutely terrible performances um, so yeah that's that's the the playing side uh, repercussions and then you have the government and other clubs have been in the media kind of lining up to to have a go uh, so it's it's not been a, it's probably been the worst holiday I think uh, any of them in the team have ever had 
I, I mean, the, 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 the thing about the Hibs game and Livingston, Hibs and Livingston doing perfectly fine this season with, um, well, I think Hibs are third, Livingston are fifth. Um, but, but with Celtic in the situation they are and so many points behind Rangers, they're really key games. And to have to send out such a, yeah. I mean, what you call call one of the worst sides that you've ever seen Celtic send out, oh, that's that's oh, that's frustrating. I would imagine. I, I, well, to be honest, I'd kind of, and I think a lot of people had, well, I'd kind of written off the league. Um, there was a game at the end of November when uh, Celtic drew one all at home to St Johnston, and I think it was that game that I'd pretty much thought, yes, it's too late. They scored like ten minutes to go, and then Celtic equalised like five minutes to go and I think it's the first time I've ever not celebrated a Celtic goal I think I've celebrated consolation goals and Champions League humiliations but that one I just I just didn't see the point I thought if we don't get another goal then that one point is not it's as good as losing the game like at this point it's just the team had to win games so uh, and then they lost the derby and it was the day after the derby that the team actually left for Dubai so after they'd lost that one I think pretty much everyone bar your your real uh, John McLean diehards I think had written uh, the league off but you know there was always that lingering thing that well if they do come back from Dubai like they do every other year and they do hit the ground running like you are saying you know you never know you put a bit of pressure on them like they've not won the league the pressure of you know, Celtic maybe clawing a few points back and having the games in hand. I mean, you guess you don't know what will happen, but those two games, yeah, like you said, have just they've killed it all off completely now. Uh, so the, the the media didn't react too well. The government didn't react too well. I probably put it to you that the club probably didn't react too well to the coverage of the story either, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. I don't think like anyone's. Um, I, th- I think like all three have had their faults. Like the media, the the government, the club as well. Like nobody's really coming out of it looking very well. I think the the club were kind of annoyed that the government they did move the goalposts a little. I mean, for all that they shouldn't have went, it was a stupid thing to do. I think the government are in the wrong. Where they say like the. The club, it was like an unsanctioned kind of trip or anything like that. I mean, they had, they had every permission. They mm. Technically, it was all right for them to be there, even if maybe morally it was just a stupid thing to do. But then the club kind of acknowledged it last week. The chief executive, who never um, kind of gives much, much interviews or rarely speaks in the media or even releases any statements, he did a, a piece to camera um, apologising for it pretty much which was quite surprising to a lot of people when you don't hear from the guy that much it shows I guess that they've really acknowledged that yeah they made a a huge mess with with the whole thing they probably shouldn't have went and then you kind of well maybe that's that's the end of the story but when Mm. uh, Neil Lennon the manager came out of isolation on Tuesday afternoon he was led straight into a press conference and I don't know if it was because he'd been caged up for a week or whatever, but if anyone hasn't seen the press conference, then they should maybe check it out because that is what it looks like when a manager is just losing it. I almost felt quite quite bad for him at some points. He was just attacking anyone and everyone, the government, the media, other clubs for the way they've handled things. It was, um, yeah, it was... Bizarre, bizarre viewing. He he went for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the thing is that there's like 
talk now as well that the club are even more angry with him because, like I said, the chief executive gave the, a public apology last week. Um, and then you think, OK, the club have fronted up, they've taken responsibility for it, and then effectively the manager has come out and completely uh, overruled everything that his boss has said um, in that video, apologising to everyone because, yeah, like you said, he went to town. I, I, I struggle to think if there was anyone uh, that he didn't uh, go for during the press call. It's There was just too much. And even the... Even if I was talking to one of my friends during it and they were working at the time and said, oh, uh, could you send me the transcript? And I was like, I had to say, I'd rather not. I mean, this is just one press conference that I think you have to see mm. to really get the the emotion and the, the anger that he was feeling across. Absolutely, uh, yeah, bizarre stuff. I don't think I've seen anything quite like it, certainly not from a Celtic manager, and this is a club who... I think you might remember when Kenny Dalgleish was there, mm. used to hold press conferences in pubs, known Celtic pubs around the city because he thought it was a way of, hey, look at me, I don't have to, I, I know, fan feeling and all this. I mean, that's just bizarre. I don't think you'd get Zinedine Zidane holding press conferences in uh, the pubs around Madrid, but there we go. Probably not, but it was, it was literally the dictionary definition of come out fighting. Yeah, <laughs> from from Lenin. Yeah, and the, yeah, I think the government, the government have even had a, a had a pop back at Lenin today. So yeah, uh, it's, yeah, and I, this is the thing. It's been almost two weeks now since they came back, and it's yeah, it still shows no sign of ending. They've come back again, and I've got no doubt Celtic are supposed to play a game um, on Wednesday night, and I've no doubt after that that if he's allowed to to speak to the media, then he'll go. He'll double down again, but the, actually, the funny thing about the whole his whole press conference is that the club, which shows obviously how angry I think the higher up, uh, the people who are higher up in the club are about uh, his press conference, they've pretty much not acknowledged it. They've not uh, <laughs> tweeted or put up on YouTube or Facebook or anywhere any of its quotes, any of the videos, and yet today they released one with the captain Scott Brown a lot more calm obviously he's been watched like a hawk I think over <laughs> absolutely everything that he's saying but they were happy enough to put that one out so I think behind closed doors he'll definitely have been dragged over the coals for that one um, As a, So as it stands we're recording Wednesday so before the before the game with Livingston uh, uh, tonight it is tonight, isn't it, Livingston tonight? Yeah. It is if it goes ahead because apparently a, an all weather pitch in Scotland um, is not so all weather and they've actually had games called off on it twice in the last month so I'm not actually confident that the game will even happen I love football <laughs> that's astounding um, so as it stands Celtic 21 points behind Rangers uh, three games in hand uh, you sort of gave up hope a while ago and Lennon in that latest press conference seems to have given up hope a little bit too. Uh, where has it gone so wrong though? Is, is it just Rangers being better? Or is it a case of, of Celtic sort of sabotaging themselves? To be honest, it, it, all, it all went wrong the day that he essentially was given the job um, full time. Uh I remember when he got the job, it was announced after Celtic won the Scottish Cup final, where basically after Brendan Rodgers had left, he came in on a six-month deal to kind of steady the ship, get the league title over the line and maybe win 
the Scottish Cup and he won the league, won the cup that day and everyone I'll never forget it. It was massive celebrations obviously and when the news came through maybe an hour and a half, two hours after the game that he'd been offered the job in the showers and Hamden. <laughs> never never a good place to offer a job. Oh, exactly. It just says it all about how so if you're yeah, if you're offering this guy a job uh, in the showers after the game. Honestly it was like the the air had went out of a balloon, like when people found out it was this massive atmosphere of celebration. And there's so, so many Celtic fans who say the exact same thing, no matter where they were. Some of them were at the stadium or on the way out of the stadium or in a pub watching at home. And when that news came through, it was just nobody could believe it. It was, yeah, it was a, it was a great thing he'd done to come in and kind of get the job over the, uh, get the title over the line, get the mm. cup win as well. But I mean, you'd been used to this really high standard and the, professionalism and stuff that Rogers brought and obviously he's absolutely flying he's got Leicester top of the league in England so it shows just how good a coach he is when you kind of wanted a, a replacement a long term replacement on that same calibre and yeah really uh, really hasn't panned out and he did to be fair to him he did do well last season obviously won another treble which I'm not writing that off or anything he did obviously he deserves a lot of credit for that but everything that has gone wrong or everything that could go wrong this season has gone wrong games getting called off all the time he'd players going off to Spain that he didn't know about and mm. then played them in a game and uh, they've they've missed out I, I really do think as well that uh, the team is really missing like having fans there I know it's the same for everyone but I really think that's having quite a big impact I don't think they'd be quite so far behind um, if there was supporters there even just to hold them accountable if they were playing mm. so badly I mean there's only so much you can do uh, from outside the stadium or from from home so yeah it's just been one of those seasons that I think years from now you just look back and go my god that was that was just one disaster after another and unfortunately there's still what four months of it to go so I dread <laughs> I dread to think what the rest of it has got in store for us uh, not to take wake from Rangers though they've and they've won what 21 of their 24 games haven't lost 60 goals for 7 against that's pretty decent yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's yeah. not, uh, that that is that is the other thing. I think um, that's the one of the big reasons as well why I've kind of kind of have to almost write this season off because they don't look as if I know they did at the weekend, but they really don't look as if they're going to drop a lot of points. And if they do, it's, it just looks like they're going to maybe draw a few games mm. here and there. But I mean, Celtic have um, played them twice, haven't even scored a goal. Um, were awful in the first game definitely the better team in the second game but still found a way uh, to lose that one so I mean and it's not just that I mean I don't like giving them any praise at all but they're still in Europe as well and they've they've played quite well in the Europa League this season and last season so I mean yeah they, they are doing something right but I think Celtic have gave them a massive massive helping hand as well um, I, you can't imagine that Lennon would be there next season. Absolutely not. No, no. not a chance. It's just now about whether whether he sees out uh, the season or not, which I think at this point he probably will. I think that they're obviously really annoyed about that press conference, but if that's the kind of straw that breaks the camel's back and not 
four wins out of 18 games or 19 games, whatever it was, and mm. getting knocked out of the Champions League to Ferencváros just should not be losing like that. I think lost 4-1 home and away to Sparta Prague team who were missing oh, so many players. It was like almost their kids team turned up in Glasgow and uh, humiliated Celtic at home. So... Yeah, if, if those things haven't been enough to get him the sack so far, then I think they'll probably just try ride it out until the end of the season. I mean, hopefully not, but it just looks like it's the, the kind of cheap and easy option at this point. And it, it would mean another manager coming in is not tainted by by this season either, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a good shout actually as well, which I hadn't thought of so much. But yeah, I mean, would you really want to... Yes, like the replacement, your long-term replacement. I would guess it would be good for bedding in and kind of getting a feel for things. But yeah, would you really want to be associated with with what is going on this season? Probably not. Uh, a couple of interesting names in the job: Eddie Howe, uh, Jack Ross, Martin O'Neill. Interestingly enough, Gordon <laughs> Gordon Strachan and Roy Keane at sixteen to one. Uh, you can you can think what you like of that. Dan Petrescu, Damien Duff at twenty-two to one. I don't know how you would feel about that. Oh, thank you, Henrik Larsson, twenty-five to one. Mark Hughes. I, I don't think any Celtic fan ever wants to see that. Xavi uh, Alonso, twenty-five to one. John Terry, thirty-three to one. Um, I'm guessing Eddie Howe would be your pick from that, and not Martin O'Neill. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not the most uh, appealing list, which is another reason why maybe if you wait until the summer, a name might pop up that. I mean, yeah, it's not available just now. But mm. from those, yeah, I think it would it would have to be Eddie Howe. And I've got got a few reservations with Eddie Howe, but I do I do think he's the, definitely the best of a bad bunch. I think some fans kind of pie in the sky with some some of the names that they want, or if they actually think that maybe Benitez would be interested in leaving like the massive salary that he's on in China to to come to Glasgow. I mean, he left Newcastle because he didn't have the control and kind of power and finances that he wanted, so I don't think there's any chance uh, that he's rocking up in Glasgow. Mm. So I think, yeah, Eddie Howe, I mean, I think he speaks quite well. He's all, I think the big thing that gets levelled against him is the amount of money he got to spend at Bournemouth and really didn't spend it well, but he's a good coach and Anytime I've heard him like speak about the game, he speaks speaks quite well. I think he could. Uh, I think he could do could do quite well. But I'm not not overly enthusiastic. But I wouldn't be gutted. I don't think either if he got it because I have got this horrible nagging feeling that Jack Ross, the head manager, is going to get it. Mm. Unfortunately, a couple of other interesting names: uh, Barry Ferguson, five hundred to one; Arlene Foster, five hundred to one. Uh, Ian Paisley Jr. also five hundred to one. Jerry Adams five hundred to one. Um, Usually the Pope's around like a hundred or something. You always get a lot better <laughs> odds on the Pope. I wonder why. Uh, yeah, I wonder, I wonder why you get better odds on the yeah. Pope than uh, Ian Paisley. The Ian Paisley Jr. Jr. <laughs> uh, okay, so not not too enthusiastic then about Eddie Howe, but yeah. I mean, he, I might, mean bring, he, might, he might bring a brand of football to it. That's yeah, that's yeah, pleasing. That's, that's true as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for all. Uh, for all you could complain of it, is Bournemouth teams and how they would defend and stuff. They mm-hmm. were they were good to watch, and I honest actually do think as well. I mean, Brendan Rodgers had the whole well telling lies about his Celtic background and whatnot. I'm still bitter, you know. Sorry, 
I'm still better. But it's, it's I mean, okay. he, it's he a safe had place. that. <laughs> he did have that whole uh, he's a Celtic man kind of thing going for him when he came in. But I don't think Eddie Howe is. I don't think he's a massively different place in his career right now than Rodgers was probably in when he took uh, the Celtic job. Obviously, he had he had been given the big crack at Liverpool and did quite well there, to be honest. I mean, he did have that on his CV, but in terms of, outside of that, if you look at the, the kind of bare statistics, I don't think they're a million miles from each other. So I could see, like, kind of maybe replicating the, the professionalism and the, the good football and that kind of thing. And obviously they're getting absolutely hammered in Europe as well. I can see all of that happening <laughs> under Eddie Howe. And if the alternative is Jack Ross, then... Please phone Eddie Howe right now. <laughs> um, any other Scottish talking points uh, we need to know for now? Well, I obviously had mentioned earlier about the, the plastic pitch and mm. the, the games getting postponed. But one, actually, one interesting one for people to keep an eye on if they are interested in the Scottish third division. I know oh, yeah. a lot of people might not be, but uh, doing quite well that you've got. Do you remember Lauren Robert that played for Newcastle? Of course. The yeah, absolute yeah, yeah. wand of a, of a left foot. His son's actually in the Scottish third division and he's on fire. Oh. And has quite a lot of big teams. Could, um, maybe looking at taking him in the summer because he turned down a, a four-year deal, I think, from uh, Montpellier last summer because he just wanted to go somewhere and play regularly and play all the time. And he turned down Newcastle as well because I think he didn't want to play under 23 football he just wanted to get a year playing senior football under his belt and he's been absolutely brilliant I think you can get uh, some of his highlights on YouTube he's not quite got the the absolute rocket in his feet that his dad had but he looks uh, he looks a really good little player so he's probably one to keep an eye on lovely thank you very much Porik no problem Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Helga, Lewis and Porik. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, should you miss us, you can listen to the back catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, the address to do so, podcast at onefootball.com.